Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. We decided to keep with the theme of last week and bring you guys another nerve episode, another anatomy episode. Honestly, the truth is we just liked nerding out and we needed some more of it. We didn't quite get our fix last week. So we have talked a lot about a lot of the nerves in the body. We've talked about the vagus nerve. We've talked about the sciatic nerve. We have yet to talk about the mother load of nerves when it comes to the pelvic floor and so that is where we are at today we are going to be talking about the pudendal nerve i love this nerve i love this nerve sometimes i hate this nerve it depends on what's going on with my patient yeah and i think we've briefly mentioned it in some of the anatomy episodes but never in the depth that we are going to cover it today so the term pudendal And I just have to read this because it, well, here we go. Comes from the Latin pudenda, meaning external external genitals derived from pudendum, meaning parts to be ashamed of. I saw that too. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. We've talked about kind of the shame and the social stigma about this particular area and it really literally goes back to even just the roots of the names names. of these things which i thought was crazy crazy a little bit irritating but this pudendal nerve is really the main nerve of that whole perennial area that you've heard us talk about and the pelvic floor muscles and the external genitalia so Basically, everything we, we talk about, the pelvic floor, the genitalia, that whole area is innervated by this pudendal nerve. The biggest takeaway, if it's in between your legs, it's controlled by the pudendal nerve. Yes. Yes. And a little bit of history. The pudendal nerve was actually discovered in 1836 by a man named Benjamin Alcock. And he found it when he was researching the internal pudendal arteries path to the external genitalia and he was like oh hey hanging out with this artery is the nerve because that's usually how nerves arteries veins they tend to all kind of run together so when he found this artery he subsequently found the pudendal nerve and that's kind of when we started getting more into the research behind this nerve and kind of figuring out what it is what it does and we talked a little bit last week about the sciatic nerve having that mixed innervation mixed of motor and sensory jobs or actions pudendal nerves the same way it's going to have a mix of motor and sensory and as well as autonomic functions which we talked about autonomic versus um parasympathetic in the vagus nerve wow i just went blank in the vagus nerve episode so we've talked some of that talked about some of that and it also originates from the sacral plexus and actually follows the sciatic nerve a little bit so these nerves Mm -hmm. are pretty similar which is why we thought hey this fits great here yeah and so same thing that we you know we'll post a couple pictures of just some of the anatomy and stuff because I think it's really cool you can just really kind of appreciate the 
pathway and the course of these nerves. And so nerves are not just, you know, um, that's what I'm looking for. They're not just, um, basic structures they're not passive structures they now they don't actively contract like our muscles do but they convey so much information and so they have to be able to move they have to be able to communicate and send those signals properly and so a lot of the pictures that will post just kind of appreciating the anatomy of it you can really see okay this is how something like that could get compressed or if there's damage over here that's how could that could affect something later on down the chain over here and so I know it's hard to get a a greater appreciation of the anatomy from a podcast episode Um, but we'll post those pictures on on our Instagram too so I think just understanding where things are has so has so much help in appreciating why things work Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just, I think, appreciating the complexity. Oh my gosh, yes. That's, I think, such a really big takeaway because like the sciatic nerve branches, this pudendal nerve is going to branch and that branch is going to have branches. And so I wanted to break down the function just a little bit more Mm -hmm. so that we can appreciate just how complex this nerve is, number one, and then just how much it does and why that would be super relevant to anyone with any kind of pelvic floor dysfunction, men or women. This nerve is going to be pretty much the same in both. So we mentioned the breakdown of it being a motor sensory and autonomic nerve. It's about 70% somatic, which, um, which 50 of that is going to be sensory and 20 of that is going to be motor. So a lot of sensory information coming in through this nerve. And then the other 30% is going to be that autonomic function. So some of the branches of that nerve, we've got the inferior rectal nerve. This nerve carries somatic motor fibers, which just means movement, the contractile, the signal to activate and relax. Um, And so that's going to be the going to give information to the external anal sphincter and then it's also going to carry sensation back from the anal canal so it's going to kind of tell those muscles when to contract to help us maintain continence of our bowel but it's also going to feel you know is the rectum full is do we need to have a bowel movement it's going to help send some of that information also pain and sensations from external hemorrhoids come from this nerve as well, which I thought was super interesting. So it's really, it's kind of this, um, the inferior rectal nerve takes a lot of that sensory and motor information from the lower portion of the rectum, not the entire thing, not the entire colon or the entire large intestine. A lot of that other information comes from not only the vagus nerve, but a lot of other, um, smaller nerves that are more specific to that digestive system pathway. So we're really just talking about that lower portion of the rectum here when it comes to the inferior rectal nerve. Yes. The next kind of branch that I have listed here is the perineal nerve, which that's going to supply motor movement and sensory fibers to the structures in the urogenital triangle. Again, going back to our anatomy episode, that's the first layer of the pelvic floor. So that's what, you know, really our our time to shine. Yeah, but that is where where we come in. Hello. 
So it's going to bring some movement and sensory function there. It's also going to innervate that external urethral sphincter or and the, the posterior scrotum in males. And then in women, we're going to have some innervation in the labia minora, the vag vaginal vestibule, the lower one-fifth of the vaginal canal, and the posterior or back aspect of the labia majora. So lots of sensation here, lots of lots of things going on with that nerve. This portion of the nerve, um, the deep muscular branch of this perineal nerve also contributes a lot to that erectile rigidity. And so not only being able to achieve and maintain an erection, but like the actual rigidity of the mm -hmm. erection as well. So being able to achieve an erection is great, but what is that, that force look like? What is, what is the actual rigidity of the erection looks like and again this goes for men and women we've talked about how the clitoris is synonymous to the penis it's a male female counterpart they are the same structure just in in, in different genders and so being able to have that neural function is super super important in both men and women and excuse me this also plays this nerve also plays a really big role in ejaculation in males um and uh, this article that I found that really kind of goes over the structure, anatomy, and function of everything. Um, it was published in 2021. They actually had like a little side note um, of basically saying like, hey, exercises stimulating these muscles in the urogenital triangle is a very effective treatment for ED, for erectile dysfunction. So um, again, hello, that's where your friendly neighborhood pelvic floor physical therapists come in. And we're going to have a whole episode about this later, talking about erectile dysfunction, what it means, why it happens, and how it can be treated with physical therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Another really cool thing that that deep muscular branch that Rachel was just talking about is going to do is it's going to innervate that external urethral sphincter, which gives us the voluntary control of urination, which essentially means when the bladder's full, we have that control to wait till we are on the toilet, which we all appreciate. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. And if you don't, Hopefully. come see us. So all that super, super cool. And then there's a superficial branch of that nerve, which is going to just going to be more sensation to that area. And I think we all appreciate sensation in that area for sure. Just, just a bit. Just so, a bit. Yeah. So again, that's coming just from that skin overlying the UGT. So along the labia, along the scrotum, along the base of the penis, all of that sensation is coming from that sensory part of the nerve. Mm-hmm. The next and kind of final branch I have listed is the dorsal nerve of the penis in males or the dorsal nerve of the clitoris in females. So this is a purely a nerve that is primarily purely for sexual function. So it's going to bring sensation from the shaft of the penis or clitoris. Um, it's also an important neuropathway in forming that erection. So the stimulation or the involvement of that nerve is what's going to stimulate the erection. And then we're going to have that deep dorsal nerve helping maintain the rigidity. So you can see how the pudendal nerve is huge in so many functions, not just sexual function, but maintaining urinary and bowel continence, 
relaxing, letting those muscles relax to have bowel movements and, and have complete bladder emptying. So we want these nerves happy and healthy and we want them to have space and room and we do not want them angry. We do not want them upset. We want these nerves happy. (laughs) We always want happy nerves. So in summary, as a whole, the pudendal nerve innervates those muscles of the urogenital triangle, which just to refresh your memory, that includes the ischiocavernosis, the bulbocavernosis in females, the bulbospongiosis in males, that superficial transverse perineal muscle. We also have some innervation into the entire levator ani, the urethral sphincters, the anal sphincters, and then us ladies are special. We've got another little muscle called the compressor urethrae um, and that is only in females um, just because our plumbing is a little bit different so we've got another (laughs) muscle that helps us out here and so we also have that innervation to the penis the clitoris the foreskin lower aspects of the vaginal canal the perineal skin the scrotum the labia majora labia minora the anal circumference and lower portions of the rectum so again if it's in between your legs it's controlled by the pudendal nerve. That's all you need to know. That's mm-hmm. your biggest takeaway from this. Yes, exactly. But just like our sciatic nerve can become compressed or irritated and we can start to have problems, the same thing can happen with the pudendal nerve. There's a lot of different ways this can happen. It can be unilateral on one side or bilateral on both sides. Some of the common causes of this compression or of this neural irritation or pudendal neuralgia, as it's sometimes called, is any kind of nerve compression or stretch of the nerve, direct trauma, radiation, functional entrapment, where the nerve can be compressed during some kind of activity or stress maneuver. The neuropathy can also worsen due to repetitive micro trauma resulting in persistent pain and dysfunctional complaints. So a lot of things like constant chronic constipation, we've talked about that before where we're not managing that. We've got a lot of pushing, straining, a lot of repeated micro trauma to that nerve. It can cause long-term problems. Some other activities that compress the nerve are prolonged sitting. Does that sound familiar? We talked about that with the sciatic nerve. Your nerves, especially these nerves that go through the back or the posterior aspect of your leg and buttocks and hips, they do not like being sat on for hours and hours and hours at a time. Our cyclists out there. Mm -hmm. All you Peloton riders, this is not a Peloton promo. No. I've, we, I've had a couple of patients that have been like, do I have to stop riding my bike? I'm like, listen, I'm never going to tell you that you absolutely have to stop doing something or that you can never, ever do something ever again. However, if you imagine all of your body weight on that little teensy tiny little bike seat and all of the lovely muscles and nerves that we have in that very, very small space and all of your body weight just compressing right on top of it, it's not going to be super comfortable. And so I, I had one patient, she was like, I'm not going to stop riding. I was like, okay, great. And then a couple of weeks later, she comes back and she's like, I noticed a huge difference in my pain and my symptoms after after I took a break from from cycling for a little bit. And I was like... It happens again, you know, would never tell anybody that they absolutely have to stop doing something or can never do something ever again. But if you are a cyclist and if you are having some 
symptoms of pain and burning and discomfort and incontinence and that irritation in between your legs understanding that sitting on a teeny tiny bike seat for hours on end is not doing you any favors no another one i thought was really interesting was that where they were seeing a lot of that trauma to the pudendal nerve was driving over rough roads or farm fields so we live in west texas all of our farmers like that's you if you're having any problems your pudendal nerve could be in trouble. So come see a pelvic floor therapist. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it and you're on, I mean, we've got we've got a lot of farmers here. We've got a lot of ranchers. We've got a lot of cowboys. And so if you're on a horse, if you're on a side-by-side, if you are in like a farm truck, just that over, there's that repetitive just bouncing and bouncing mm-hmm. and bouncing and bouncing and bouncing on those nerves. They don't like it. Ow, that hurts my pelvic floor. Just yeah. think about it. Yeah. And another really, really big one is a fall onto the buttocks. Mm -hmm. So that's never, never good. Never exciting. Mm -mm. Childbirth is a, is another big one. Um, just that, that vaginal delivery and the, the nerve, this pudendal nerve is really susceptible to stretch injuries, especially with bigger babies. Um, and so if you are, Oh shoot! What is the the birth, average birth weight? I can't remember what the let me look it the up. Weight is I can't remember if if you're you know if baby's over a certain weight it's considered a, a big baby. Uh, we learned about it in PT school, yeah. and I remember I was like, oh my poor mother, because I was well over that weight when I was born. Do okay, the average birth weight is anywhere from. And this is from kidshealth.org. Five, po- five pounds, eight ounces to eight pounds, 13 ounces. Okay. So, so yeah. anything bigger than eight pounds, 13 ounces is going to be. Although, for some reason, I thought in school it was seven. But I thought I did um, too. Okay. Here's another source from medicalnewstoday.com. I don't know how accurate that's going to be. But it says average weight of a full-term female is seven pounds, two ounces. Um, and it doesn't give me the average average birth weight of a male lovely so i was nine pounds almost 10 and so just a little bit difficult for my poor mother (laughs) um but so because again because of the position of the nerve, because of just the direct trauma that comes to these tissues with a vaginal delivery, a lot of that can be um, can be caused by by that child delivery process. A lot of the neural involvement. I've seen pudendal nerve involvement in my pregnant patients too, mm-hmm. um, because again, where these nerves sit right in between your legs, they're in these muscles. And so if you've got big old baby, that's just bouncing around on these nerves. I got one patient. I was like, listen, I'm pretty sure your baby is picking that pudendal nerve, like a guitar string, like I, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. literally <laughs> like the things that we were doing, like uh, some of it helped at first. And then as she got closer and closer to delivery, they were just starting to help less and less. And I was just like, I'm at a loss. Like I'm, like have your baby literally <laughs> that's my treatment she's like what what can i do at this point i'm like mm, induce labor like that that is that is where where we're at so that's, it can definitely be yeah. involved in pregnancy especially later on in pregnancy as baby starts to drop as baby gets bigger again all of that pressure just right over those nerves can cause um 
can cause some of that pain. Um, lightning crotch. We haven't talked about it. We didn't talk about it in our pregnancy episode. How did we miss that? I don't know how we missed it, but lightning crotch, <clears throat> excuse me, is basically just like some of that pudendal nerve irritation, um, especially when abducting the legs. Um, a lot of patients will feel it like getting in out of the car mm-hmm. or going up and down stairs. That's a big one. And it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's, you know, a lightning bolt going right up the where the sun don't shine. <laughs> Which sounds miserable, by the way. That sounds terrible. So sorry, all my patients that have experienced that. Yes, but there are things that we could do to help. So yes, definitely things we can do to help. So there is a difference between just, you know, I have pelvic pain and I have actual pudendal nerve involvement. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about some of the kind of classic or textbook pudendal nerve pain, some, some of the hallmark signs. So it's going to be someone with pelvic pain, especially in the perennial and genitalia area with or without concurrent sexual bladder or bowel symptoms. So we can have some involvement there, but we don't have to. Typically, there's a gradual onset of the pain. It doesn't just happen like overnight unless there's a specific acute or, or trauma that happens. Usually this pain is less in the morning and increases throughout the day just as either we're sitting more or that nerve's getting more irritated. Usually at night, it kind of gets a break. It can calm down. But then as we're more active throughout the day, the pain gets worse. The pain is typically burning just because that's kind of a hallmark nerve pain. But it also can be tingling, aching, stabbing, and the shock-like, which would kind of fall under that lightning crotch that Rachel talked about. The pain is typically aggravated while sitting and is relieved when standing or lying down or seated on a toilet. Just because if you think about lying down or seated on a toilet, you're not going to have that direct compression in the, the path or direction that that nerve is running. So the pain may be, the distribution may be limited or extensive. It can include the vulva, the vagina, the clitoris, perineum, rectum in females, or the penis, scrotum, perineum, rectum in males. So kind of like Rachel said, anywhere like in between the leg area. And so there's, there's a lot of... There's a wide range of symptoms when it comes to some pudendal nerve involvement, and it can mimic um, can mimic a lot of other things too. One thing I thought was interesting is that it can mimic interstitial cystitis, mm-hmm. which is a big one. That, you know, uh, something that we've talked about a lot. Um, it can again these nerves that sensation and motor control is coming from this nerve, and so if that nerve is irritated in any way, you're going to have symptoms related to that motor and sensation control. So it can be, you know, pain with, uh, just the pressure on those tissues. It can also be, it can also look like urgency and urinary frequency. It can look like painful ejaculations or painful sex. We talked about, um, our boss had a patient, it was a long time ago that we mentioned mm-hmm. him, but he basically, when he orgasmed, he said it felt like he was ejaculating shards of glass. That gives me an overactivity. That literally makes my pelvic floor hurt. Like I cannot imagine the kind of pain that that that, that felt like. So a big hallmark sign of some pudendal nerve involvement, though. Um, and so there's lots of different things that we can that we can treat that we can address. 
with that nerve tissue and health. It's just some behavioral modifications, some nerve glides, calming down any muscular dysfunction that might be going on there as well. I actually found a list of exercises that I wanted to go over and maybe we'll post a video of these because some of these I think are really, really good. So if you have those symptoms we mentioned and you're like, hey, I might have some of this. These are exercises that are essentially going to relax that nerve and can provide you some temporary relief. One of the ones I saw was wide leg bridges, cobra pose, because you think about it, all these are going to be putting that nerve on slack standing backward leg lifts sideline hip abduction and extension and then hip extension in the quadruped position which i thought was interesting because that's a lot of the things we do in here for other it's basically just some pelvic floor type exercises so all of those can be really really beneficial we'll try to maybe post a video of some of that for you guys so you can see if you're like hey i think i'm having some of this pudendal stuff going on but one of the um best ways to treat it and everything i found was pelvic floor rehabilitation exercises and this quote literally says pelvic floor rehabilitation exercises are the most preferred strategy um, sorry there's just some noise outside speed racing yeah. outside apparently but um there was a research study completed in australia because as we've talked about before the australians get it but they basically came up with a protocol for the treatment of pelvic girdle or predendal nerve involvement and they had a lot of good success in treating these patients so just very very interesting i could go on and on about some of that but i won't bore you all with it for sure um there is a study um called the role of physical therapy in the treatment of pudendal neuralgia Uh, This was published in 2006 in the International Urogynecological Association Journal. And basically, the, uh, I mean, what what they found is that, okay, when it comes to, when it comes to physical therapy, and especially when it comes to justifying treatment to insurance companies, a lot of the biggest things that we look for are what's called functional limitations or impairments. And so, like, so for example, the impairment would be a pelvic floor dysfunction, but the functional limitation would be decreased sitting tolerance. We need to sit in our day-to-day life. We, we need to sit, whether that's at work or at home. It, you know, it, it goes into that inability to attend school, to care for oneself. Um, and so there are so many different things. And I really like this article because they really broke it down into like, okay, this is how it can relate to the connective tissue. This is how it can relate to external muscle hypertonicity and trigger points, which is what we've talked about. Um, over, uh, overall pelvic floor dysfunction, neural tension. Uh, biomechanics even and so basically it is the you know the impairments extend well beyond the path of just the pudendal nerve they include the structural the muscular function the connective tissue um, and all of these things are within the scope of practice of physical therapists and so this article kind of gives a, a nice little summary that is the primary role of a physical therapist to treat the musculoskeletal deviations as it is the role of a psychologist to treat anxiety and depression and the role of a physician to prescribe medication and perform injections and surgeries the impairments associated with pudendal neuralgia require each of these interventions to yield a 
a successful outcome to the patient. So it is so many things, so many different things that go into this. If if you're new to PSA, an overarching theme here is that uh, it's all connected. <laughs> and so and everything is related. And if you're just looking at one thing, you're doing a disservice to your patients. And so being able to look at everything plays a huge, huge role. And that is where your physical therapists come in. Like that is where that's our time to shine. That's mm-hmm. like that's why I tell my patients, I'm like, listen, I'm going to talk to you about the anatomy, the function, the structure. And then explain why in the world you were sent to a physical therapist for what's going on with you right now. Because that's usually the first question that we get is just like, I just really have to pee all the time. Like, why am I in a physical <laughs> therapy clinic? And they're like, okay, let's, like, you know, we'll, we'll explain it. This is a musculoskeletal function and that's our bread and butter as PTs all day long. Yeah. And something in that, that article from Australia, they talked about, I mean, they looked at the sacroiliac joints. They looked at... You know, what is the connective tissue that's going over some of the ligaments, specifically the sacrotuberous, sacrospinous ligament? Is there a lot of compression towards or on those ligaments? Then they talked about just kind of all the addressing it, like Rachel was just saying, a multidimensional approach where we're not just, oh, the nerve's mad. Let's just do some nerve guides. It's no, what is the joint? What is the connective tissue? What is the surrounding joints and connective tissue doing? And like she said, that's where we shine. So this this is very, very treatable. So that's another, that's a really, really positive note. And I think we've, we both see this pretty regularly. We've both had some success in treating it. So that's always, always a positive when something always. can be done about these problems. Yeah, this, this isn't permanent. And a lot of the things that I found, especially when it comes to injury during childbirth, and, and even especially if it's more of an acute injury, that's typically a better sign for quicker recovery. When it's chronic, when it's been going on for a long, long time, that's when we start to see a lot of underlying tissue changes and physiological adaptations, which is a whole other thing. We can do a whole episode on chronic pain because that's just a whole other beast. But with kind of some of those more acute injuries, a lot of times we see those start to really heal on their own, just with some behavioral modifications, just kind of kind of babying it a little Mm -hmm. bit you know just just staying off of it resting that nerve making sure you are getting appropriate treatment and and managing pain um, to not continue to get that that micro trauma that Kelly talked about earlier so it just you know so 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 manageable and so treatable absolutely there are several invasive interventions they all sound absolutely miserable It ranges anywhere from having neuromodulation implants to injections. And an injection in the area of the radial nerve is about the most miserable thing I can think of. So, as always, our advice is try us first. If you think the pudendal nerve is involved, talk to your doctor about conservative interventions first because those usually have pretty good success. And then if that fails, try something invasive because a needle anywhere near my pelvic floor is just going to be a no for me. Absolutely not. So absolutely not. Nope. 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 There's a lot, a lot we can do here. So many things, so many things. So 
Did you have anything else to add about the pudendal nerve? That was about it, really. I tried it's, to keep it concise because there was about a million things to talk about. a million about. different directions that we could go with that. But basically, again, if it's, if it's in between your legs, it's controlled by that pudendal nerve. If you're having pain there, it is likely that the pudendal nerve could be a trigger, could be one of those causative factors. And the good news is, is that pelvic floor physical therapy can help so come see us come hang out we'll have a good time we'll have so much fun we'll have so much fun absolutely so do you have a psa for this week um my psa for this week is get up because mm, all of our they don't like sitting so your goal for this week is to stand up every 30 minutes yep i'd like it to be every 15 but i don't know that's super realistic for everybody so set a timer if you can't remember and every 30 minutes get up and move your nerves will thank you for it even if you just like literally shake out your legs just stand up stretch a little bit do some squats do, do some, some lunges. arch backs yep. your perennial nerve likes that too yep. or arch your the back pudendal nerve yeah if there's any other nerves that y'all want us to talk about, they're like, hey, what about this thing? Is this a thing? What about this nerve? There are so many nerves, so many that we could talk about and how they relate to the hips and the flow back and the pelvic floor. There are so many rabbit trails that we can go down. If there's any other anatomical structures at all not a nerve that you want us to talk about whether it's you know we could do kind of a deep dive into some of the hip muscles we could do into the back I mean you know us we love anatomy we'll do the shoulder if we want to I'll find a way to connect it to the <laughs> pelvic floor I'll find a way I will find a way so if there's anything else that you want to know more about that you want us to do that deep dive for you, please let us know. Um, follow us on Instagram at pelvic service announcement and then just write us in from there and just let us know like, hey, can you do an episode about this? Can you talk about this or how is this related? And we would be more than happy to do that for you. We absolutely would. Let's see. You look like you're very focused on something. Well, right I was trying to, f I was, you know, we talked about doing a board question. So I was trying to find like a pelvic floor oh, related nice. board question. And I have. Beautiful. Just trying to find, I'm going to, we'll, we'll do this one. It's prolapse. It's not nerve or anything. Okay, but perfect. this might be fun. Okay. So for our student physical therapists out there. This is a board type question yeah. for you that could come up on your board exam whenever you take that. So let's hear it, Callie. What you got? Um, okay. You are treating a 39-year-old female, female who underwent a, oh gosh, I don't even know this word. I should have, lymphos, I'm going to do a different one. Okay. <laughs> okay. During the storage phase of mctrician. Which statement is correct? A, the detrusor is relaxed, the pelvic floor is relaxed, and the internal sphincter is relaxed. B, the detrusor is relaxed, the pelvic floor is contracted, and the internal sphincter is contracted. C, the detrusor is contracted, the pelvic floor is relaxed, and the internal sphincter is relaxed. D, the detrusor is contracted, the pelvic floor is contracted, and the internal sphincter is contracted. 
That's a good question. So I'm going to repeat the question. During the storage phase of mctrition, what statement is correct? So you guys can think about it. Pause for a second. Everyone get their, get their answer that they have ready. I like this question because you have to know a lot of different things here. You, you do. have to know what the detrusor is, what it does, well, what's the resting, like what is the yeah. resting state of the detrusor, the pelvic floor, and the internal sphincter. So that's well, a good question. Even, even like the question, you have to know what mctrition is. Yep. I have to know what mctrition is, what happens during mm -hmm. the storage phase. So we're going to answer this question, but we're going to break it down. We're going to break down the question first. During the storage phase of mctrition, mctrition is the process of just making urine, urine. It's just anything to do with urine. So the storage phase of mctrition is when the bladder is storing up urine. It is when the bladder is filling. Yes. So the detrusor is the muscle of the bladder. So if you know that, then you can start to think, okay, if we're storing, that detrusor is not going to be contracted. It's going to be relaxed. It's going to be stretching to allow things to fill. So go, so you can already go ahead and eliminate both C and D because in those it says the detrusor is contracted. The detrusor muscle is basically, it surrounds like the inside of the bladder. And so when it contracts, it is working to actively expel that urine. So when we're storing, that detrusor is relaxed. Exactly. So we've already eliminated C and D. Now we're just left with A and B. So we know the detrusor is relaxed, but then what's the pelvic floor doing? That's the next part of the question. Well, if you listen to this show, you know, okay, well, the pelvic floor or the muscles that are going to control that, it's going to need to activate because it it's our it's our um, our stopper basically. It's what allows us to keep urine inside our body. So then you know the pelvic floor is contracted. Well, the only one that says the pelvic floor is contracted is B. So already you know B is your answer. But we'll go ahead and look at the last part. Last part says the internal sphincter is contracted. So we know that that internal sphincter is what keeps urine in the bladder till we're ready. So it's going to be contracting with the pelvic floor to help us maintain that continence. So your answer is B. The detrusor is relaxed, the pelvic floor is contracted, and the internal sphincter is contracted. Beautiful. So let us know if you liked doing a board question. Um, I would love to do more. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So. Let me know. Love to do more. Yeah, we're finally at a good spot where, you know, we'd no longer have horrific flashbacks of oh. studying for that board exam and taking board type questions. So you never know if you're going to get a board question about the pelvic floor on that exam. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're ready for it. I think I had one or two out of yeah. all like, what was it? 500 questions. I think <laughs> I had like one or two. I was so excited. But I was like, I finally know one. Literally. I was like, yes, I've got this one. <laughs> we, we also said last week we'd talk about our board experience a little bit. So Ooh. are we ready to like mentally get into that? Okay. So the board exam is a, how many questions are on it? Let me I don't even know anymore. I just like dumped all that information from my it, mind. Literally, as soon as it was over with, I was like, okay, done. Um, you do have to get a score of 600 or better. And so if you remember that episode from SpongeBob where he's like taking his driver's test and he asks Mrs. Puff, he's just like, what score did I get? And she's like, six. <laughs> and he's like, and what do I need to pass? And she goes, six. Hundred. <laughs> <laughs> you need 600 to pass. 
you got six. That is what was going through my head the entire time as I was waiting for those board exam results. It's like, I probably got six. I got my name right. Maybe the pelvic floor question. <laughs> At that yeah. point, I was second guessing everything. So there's 250 questions, but right. only 200 of them are scored. So 50 of them are just test question or like practice questions that they're seeing how you do to see if they want to add those in yeah. in the coming years. Just to kind of test the validity of those questions. Do but they tell you which ones no. those are? Absolutely not. So, but um, I remember I got to like one section and I was just like, dear God, please tell me that that was the practiced, the practice questions. Please tell me that was the section that was not scored. Cause it was terrible. It was like the hardest 50 questions on the test. I thought it was, I thought I was going to cry. Well, and that's another thing too. And like, it's, there's so many mind games that are played. There's so different many. versions of the test. Some are harder and some are easier and they're scored differently, but you don't know if you have a hard version or an easy version. So Rachel could have had the super hard version of the quiet of the test. And so then hers is scored a little bit differently, scored a little bit easier. So she could be thinking, Oh, I failed and I can have an easy version, but mine's scored harder. And I'm like, Oh, that's easy, but I really did horrible. So it's just this whole, just awful. it like just messes with your mind. So much mind games. So we, Rachel took hers first. Uh -huh. Um, and, and in preparation, I'll, I'll tell you about my prep and then you can talk about your, okay. prep. but I took about a million practice tests and I was getting to where I was, I, I had failed like four in the beginning, like not by a lot, but I'd failed some. And then I passed like three in a row and I was like, I got this. I'm going to do so good. And then the day before the exam, Everybody tells you not to do this. Did I listen? No, because I was like, let me just do one little more, one more ego bump. You know, I took a practice exam and I failed it the day before the exam. I was unwell. Talk about a confidence booster. So that's my mindset going in. And Rachel took it like a week or two before me. Yeah, I took. Yeah, I think it was only a few days. I don't. I don't think well, it was we that got long our yet. Score, yes, but, but we got like, our scores back. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. So the way that they do the score, like when you schedule the exam, like the actual PT board is like, okay, you can take it these days, but it also depends on what specific testing center that you go to and when that specific testing center offers the exam. And so I took mine like, I think on a Tuesday, I think. And then Callie, I think you took yours like a Thursday, Thursday. like Thursday literally just a few familiar. days. But because of when I had taken my test, it was like closer to the range of when the board, like the physical therapy board actually wanted you to take it. I got my results back in less than a week. Callie had to wait weeks. What? I mean, it, it was, was like, like a month. I it think. was three to four weeks. Yeah. It was a oh. horrendously long time for you. I felt so bad for you. I was like, I cannot imagine it that. Was like, awful. I thought I was going to die just within those first like five days, but but she doesn't tell me that. She goes into the exam and she comes out and I'm like, hey, congratulations. She texts me after and she was like, oh, it was like, fine. You'll do great. So that that yeah. was that was what she had said to me. So then I go in and take it. And I'm like, okay, so Rachel didn't think this was that bad. I go in there and I didn't know a single question <laughs> on that exam. Like, I can't even tell you, which we're not allowed to talk about it, but I couldn't yeah. tell you what was on that exam if I wanted to, right. because my mind, it's like trauma. My mind won't let me remember it. It's like walled it up and blocked it out. It was like, no, throw and away the keys. I am not like, I 
would consider myself a borderline anxious person, but I don't typically have test anxiety. But between failing it, failing a practice test the day before, and then like assuming Rachel thought it was easy, (laughs) I was like, okay, this is significantly harder. Like I'm an idiot. I get out of that test and I know I failed. I, I know it. And I am driving home, talking to my mom, sobbing hysterically to the point she's like, you have to pull over. You are going to wreck your car. I was like, not safe anymore. (laughs) I was like, I know I failed it, but I'm, I'm just full blown panic. It was awful. I felt bad because you came back and told me that. You're like, and you did so good. And I was like, dude, I wasn't going <laughs> to tell you that that was the hardest exam I've ever taken in my entire life the day before you were going to go into yours. She was trying like, to be so I helpful. Didn't, I didn't want to freak you out. But I literally felt the exact same way. I get into my car after I take the test. I call my mom. And she's like, how did it go? And I was like, I genuinely don't know. I like I I couldn't even tell you how how it went. I there's a really really good chance that I failed. There's a really good chance that I passed. But I have no idea. I, <laughs> I don't no know clue. One of our professors told us and which was actually really comforting, but she basically said if you come out of that exam thinking that you nailed it, that you aced it, that you got every single question right, you probably failed. But if you come out of there questioning all of your life choices, every <laughs> single t- question you probably did okay. You probably did okay. They're like, you should feel terrible after you come out of that exam. Like, you should feel awful. <laughs> well, I did. Yes, we both did. And then, so then I am just like a wreck at work. And my boss was like, well, I don't want to tell you this before. Who is the smartest woman I know, by Literally. the way. She was like, I failed it the first time. Trying to make me feel better. I was like, well, that definitely didn't help. Because now <laughs> I know. Now I know I failed. I failed it. And then Rachel gets her results back and she passed. And I'm like, I'm so happy for you. Right. Like, that is... <laughs> love that journey for you she's just like where are my results I'm like I and I'm trying to be a good friend because I genuinely was happy for her and I was like okay (laughs) I have like get over your owning and I'm just like wow to be her like what is life like before waiting for exam results and then a month later I get my results back and I passed I remember you like, checked you checked in the office and just broke down <laughs> no I sat on the floor like I literally fell to the floor and started crying and none of us knew what had happened because she didn't say anything <laughs> so she just drops her phone drops to the ground and starts bawling and we're like because who I'm died not, like I'm what is wrong not a super emotional person so I think everyone's like what is, like did you just get the worst news of your entire life like what is happening and then i remember i passed <laughs> and then we all just like dog piled on her and hugged her like congratulations you did it you did oh. it it's over it's done it's done to this day and i know i i don't remember my exact score but i remember i did the math and i think i made somewhere around like a 92 or something yeah. i actually did pretty well and i i to this day feel like that's a lie right <laughs> i'm like they gave me somebody no. else's score right. <laughs> I was like, I, there was a mistake i did here. not do that no I was like that was not no i remember alita asked because um, we both worked part-time before i think uh-huh. yeah we, we both worked part-time before we took our exam which i loved because i didn't even so think great. about that but when I was like on the phone with Alita talking about like when I was going to start and everything before, like right when I had accepted the job, she was just like, do you want to work part time? Like before you take the exam, that way you still have enough time to study. And I was like, I didn't even think about that. Like, yes, I would love to do that. So all of our, our student PTs, uh, you can work on a temporary license after you graduate, but before you take the board exam, 
ask your boss if you can work part-time because I don't think I would have passed it if I did it no. if, if I did it if I worked full-time and had to study for it but honestly I think not working would have been bad too because it, like that per- working part-time gave me enough of a sense of urgency like I have right. to study today because I have to work tomorrow or exactly because I decided I worked two days a week two full days yeah. a week and so then I was like well I have to study these days because I'm working these way- days Plus, the days I'm working, I'm seeing real patients. I'm in the clinic. So I'm getting clinical experience to work off of. That's staying fresh. Plus, you know, I'm studying. And so working part-time was so amazing. And I will be eternally grateful to Alita for offering that. And for just, we had so much support. So much. Oh, my gosh. They threw us a party when we passed. Like, I mean, so... I cannot, to all our new grads out there listening, there's places that will offer you $30,000, $50,000 signing bonuses and things like that, but know where you're taking a job. Yeah. And yeah. There's a lot more to having a job than the money you make. And I'm not saying we don't make good money, but, right. but I would take a pay cut for the oh, environment we have absolutely 100 percent, 100 so that's just something to consider to all our new grads yeah, out there absolutely and i remember alita asked after after i had taken the test she was like okay like do you want to st- like now that you've taken the test now that it's done do you want to work full-time like do you want to open up your hours or do you want to wait until you know like your results and everything and so if you if you're working on a temporary license and you fail the board exam the first time that you take it you have to stop working you have to stop treating patients immediately like you can no longer treat until you take that board exam again and until you pass it and that's months away like they don't offer it. it's not like mm-hmm. you can just sign up whatever and take it like they only it's offer like it every yeah, yeah they only offer it every few months and so I remember she asked me that and I was just like well I failed the test so it'll be less patients that you have to reschedule if I just stay part-time until I know for sure and I, I was the opposite I was like fill me uh, I was like I can't sit at home and think about failing that test and I was like and I need to save up money for the time I'm about to be not working <laughs> As I study to retake this exam. I'm pretty sure that I went home and studied some more after I took this. It's like I failed it, so I got to start studying again. So again, to all of our student PTs out there, we're not That's trying to normal. scare you, but that, like, that is so normal yeah. to feel like absolute crap after you walk out of that exam. It's totally normal. Yeah. You're fine. You will be okay. Like promise. I said, I, it's like literally like a trauma. I've blacked out that literally. whole experience. <laughs> I don't remember the drive home afterwards. No. I know I called my mom and I was like, I think I'm going to go get Chick-fil-A. Okay, bye. Yeah, I just, sure oh, it was so bad. So don't panic. No. But yeah, let us know, students and not students, if you like the board question, because that was super fun. And it'll be good for us to keep yeah, our for mind sure. fresh. Keep our mind sharp. Keep our mind sharp. Okay. So. Do you have a patient one? I do. Go for it. You look like you have a really I good am. one. I'm so <laughs> Do you excited. want to go first? Then? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she's just sitting up there. She's got the biggest grin on her face. Well, I, I love this patient. And all of these patients I say I love, they're all different. <laughs> so I've got like 15 She has patients. 12 different favorite patients. Yeah. But um, this patient is older and she has two bad knees. And we have not been working on her knees. We've been working on her pelvic floor. But through some of the things we're doing for her pelvic floor, she's been motivated to exercise on her own, number one. But then a lot of pelvic floor strengthening involves some lower extremity 
strengthening and things as well. So her knees have actually gotten significantly better, like less painful, more mobile, and her pelvic floor is also doing phenomenal. So she's just thriving. However, she comes in and she's like, oh my, she's like, Callie, I am doing so good. She was like, I was actually able to climb on top of my cabinets and clean them out. And, and this woman is almost 70 and lives alone. And I was like, you did what? I was like, that is not why I got you better. I was like, I just, I need the official, I I need the official, she was like, I know I've done it before and felt like I was going to fall, but this time I just hopped right on up there from the stool to the cabinet. It was fantastic. I cleaned the whole thing and I was like, my jaw is on the, I'm like nauseous. I'm like, okay, if she had fallen. So I'm like, I need the official record to state that I did not approve of this. I did not know she was going to do this. And I was like, don't you dare do that again. Don't you ever get on those cabinets again. I was like that is no ma'am that is hilarious I was like if you fall you are going to be so much worse off right I was like all this progress is going to be for nothing if you fall and then we're doing step-ups out and and this is just how much of a go-getter she is we're doing Uh step-ups working on some some things there And I ask her, do you have steps at home? Because she has a gym membership. So Mm -hmm. there's some things we can do at the gym, which is super fun. And she said, no, but I've got some bricks I can stack together. No, (laughs) ma'am. And I was like, don't you dare. I was like, like, if you hear nothing else, this whole session don't you dare you know she's she going was like to. she was like she was like trying to, i could see her like counting doing the math she's like hey. right she was like i think if i like stacked them and i was like no i was like do these at the gym i was like it is not that imperative you know she's that gonna this. do it on the bricks no, right i told her not i specifically said do not do i was like safety first like and i but she's just a go-getter that is hilarious just so much fun to work with because whatever I tell her to do, she does. And then she does extra yeah. on her own at the gym and she's fallen in love with working out That's at so almost good. 70 years old good for her. and feels amazing. She's like, my knees don't pop and creak anymore. Good. I don't have nearly as much pain. Yeah. And so it was just really, it was hilarious. I was like, I don't even know if this is a win or a loss. Right. I was like, but don't do that anymore. Don't you dare. <laughs> no climbing on bricks, no climbing on counters. No, stop it. That is so funny. Okay, your turn. Okay. This is kind of, it's a win. Um, I don't always do evals as wins because I'm just like, well, we're just getting started. Like we didn't, there's no, no progress has been made just with an eval. But um, last Friday I had an eval with this little old lady and she was so cute and she brought her friend with her and they were just like the cutest little things in the entire world. And they thought I was hilarious which was like the biggest ego boost you've ever gotten like when little old women think that you're funny it's just like you can't tell me nothing like I am the most hilarious person on the face of this earth and so but afterwards she was just like she was really excited she was a little bit like and and sometimes with older patients that have been dealing with problems for like the same problem for a very long period of time they can tend to get a little bit of like well one doctor one time 20 years ago told me that I have this and so now that's the basis of how I function yeah and so that's kind of a little bit of of where she was at she's like well I have you know I have degenerative disc disease which we've talked about it's not a disease it's not it's not an abnormal function it's not an abnormal thing and 
so she was just well I have this and oh well I have this and so I was just kind of like okay I don't know if I'm was trying to be really careful in how I presented all the information and like my patient education and everything like that because I want I wanted her to know like I'm not trying to discount everything that you've ever been told by your doctor it's, it's a like fine by line. Any, exactly yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to undermine anybody I just want you to know how the body works and how the mechanics work and why you were sent to a physical therapist for what's going on and everything like that and so was really careful with you know just kind of like my wording and everything by the, she, and she was kind of stoic too so like wasn't really sure by the look on her face her friend was cracking up her friend like I said her friend thought it was hilarious but but by the end of it she had like really warmed up and like they were both laughing like I said I was cracking jokes the entire time and I was like wow I'm on I a roll am. here and so by the end of it she was just like you were so helpful thank you so much like you explained everything in a way that I could understand and like it always kind of like makes me really happy if at the end like if my patient's don't have questions I'm like Mm -hmm. day one is information overload like I'd be surprised if you didn't have questions but a lot of them sometimes you can kind of get the ones that are just like no like you literally explained everything like that makes complete sense I don't have a single question about it because I understand it now and so that's kind of where where she was at and I was just like thank goodness so I think she's gonna do great we'll probably have more follow-ups with her um on on how her progress is doing I'll share that um but but yeah so it was just yeah. it, was, it was cool it was a good good eval and like I said it always boosts my ego when little old ladies yeah. think I'm hilarious well so. and you can never ever ever downplay the importance of education no. so that's so great that she felt like educated and I think there's a sense of empowerment that patients get when they are educated yes. about what's going on so that's a huge win yeah and and a lot of times too I'm like listen I don't care I don't care if you don't care where the bladder is or what it does, but if you're able, if you do know, if you do know where it is, where it sits, the muscles that surround it, how these muscles function, why you were sent to a PT for this, like all of those things, not only do you get that patient feeling more confident and more comfortable in their progress, but also get them to buy into what you're doing too. Like if they don't see okay, how is me, you know, laying here doing deep breathing? How is that going to help me from not peeing when I sneeze? You know, it's so mm-hmm. like if they don't understand that connection, then and then it's hard to get them to do it. It's hard to get that compliance and then they don't get better. Yeah. So if they even come back again. If the, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Well, that's awesome. So, yep. Good things. Good things. All good things. And not this month, but next month, we've got some really, really exciting things. So many exciting coming. Things. I don't want to ruin it, but we're gonna we have some guests line yes. up multiple. So PSA's really taken off. We're trying to step up our game in the new year. We're very, very excited. Oh yeah. If you like the board question style, let us know. If you didn't like it, let us know. Let us know what you guys want to hear. Let us know if there's a guest you want. If you're like, yeah. hey, can you have somebody like this on? Because this is for you guys. Yeah. I mean, we love doing it. But at the end of the day, our whole goal is that you guys learn something from this. So, yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, that's all we have for this week. Next week's going to be a fun one. It'll just be me and Rachel, but got a fun topic. So, so excited for this one. <laughs> we will see you guys next week. Bye.